0: Basically, things start to become white noise after uh, after a while, right? right? So if we're using the same phrase over and over again, whatever it is, pe- people will start to sort of ignore it, right? Yep. But when we see those patterns, there's always an opportunity for a pattern interrupt, right? There's always an opportunity to ask, okay, everybody is saying this, like, well, what do I think? Is there anything I disagree with here? Is there anything that I think people are not paying attention to?
1: Welcome to Mike Up In Your Business. We're having a really interesting conversation uh, coming up for you. It's with Michael Roderick, and uh, he was just a fountain of knowledge. Uh, at the end, after we hung up after the interview, I'm like, dude, I gotta introduce you to Penguin Books. You gotta write, he is working on a book, but this has to go mainstream publisher. I introduced you to my agent. I hooked him up with a few people because I really, really was intrigued by his message, the simplicity and the effectiveness of this. And the essence is, if your business isn't referable, it means no one's talking about you. There's no excitement. What do you have to do to get people excitedly talking about you? So we're about to learn in this episode. So listen in. Where are you based out of, Michael? Uh, New York. Oh, okay. How's the COVID situation uh, over there?
0: Uh, It's, you know, it's... uh it's calmed down significantly from when all of this kind of first hit. Um, But we're still, you know, um, we're still taking it pretty easy. Like we're, we're not going out very, very often. Like it'll be like, go to the park, go to the store. And that's pretty much it. Um, you know, some folks are starting to go back to restaurants and things like that, but I've got a, I've got a nine month old and a three and a half year old. And I just like, I'm not even going on the subway at this point. Like, yeah, you know,
1: you gotta be careful. It's (laughs) interesting. I I read an article and it was, it was a pretty bold article, you know, basically just the the headline catches your, your attention. It said like New York is dead and Mm -hmm. that there's this mass exodus happening and that New York was known for the kind of its its cultural mix and, and the 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 epicenter of the world financially, but they said now with the virtualization, you know, it's not an epicenter. And now with COVID, uh, New York is famous for its cuisine. People aren't eating. Well, you're the you're the guy that's there. So what's really yeah. happening? Are, is there a mass exodus going on?
0: I mean, it does seem quieter. Like it does okay. seem like the streets are not as you know. But I also think that you know, one of the one of the best ways to get attention from people is to create high contrasts. And mm. you're never going to get a lot of clicks on your article if you don't say something. <laughs> totally, right. Of, right, <laughs> so like I look at that stuff and I'm like, you know, I understand where it's coming from and I understand if somebody wants to create like a logical yeah. argument about it. But I also understand that psychologically, we're always writing to basically create the most impact. So it's hard to take, you know, it's hard to take stuff like that too seriously, I guess, is the way I look at it.
1: You know, you teach through Small Pond Enterprises um, how to make businesses referable, as you know, of course. But what I'm curious about is making a business referable, I presume, is dependent on word of mouth. And the word of mouth, at least in the tactile Face to face experience that's gone.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, is
1: is this affecting business referability?
0: I, I don't think so. I th- because I think that I think it does. If you believed, if you were one of those people who believed like this was the only channel and this was the only way to do it, I think if you were the networking person who said, "I go to I go to gatherings and I shake hands and I hand out business cards." then you're in trouble um, because mm. it's not thinking about it from, from the angle of like, what is the experience, right? Uh, and what I like to think about in terms of referability is how do we talk about ideas and sort of hold them with us? Mm. and that goes beyond rooms, right? So if I share something and I'm able to package it in such a way that you're able to remember it easily and share it with somebody else, it doesn't matter where you heard it. It doesn't matter if you heard it on the podcast, it doesn't matter if you heard it in a Zoom room, it doesn't matter if you read it in a book. Uh, So I really think that referability, when we're thinking about this idea of, of word of mouth doesn't just live in the aspect of like place to place, you know, uh, person to person necessarily. I think it can live in this virtual world.
1: You know, it's funny as you're saying this, this reminds me of that book Made to Stick by Dan and Chip Heath. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you read it, but they they talk about what, you know, plants in our mind and, and you hit two anchors here, memorable and shareable. Yep. So, so can we dig into that? What, what makes something memorable and sure. shareable?
0: Yeah. So uh, what I like to say about memory is that if you want people to remember you more, you want to focus on less. And that's L-E-S-S. That's language, emotion, simplicity and structure. Okay. So with language, a lot of the time we don't take the time to create our own language for things, right? We just kind of pull from somebody else's language and we use somebody else's ideas. But the reason why we all study Shakespeare and very, very few of us ever study Christopher Marlowe, even though they were writing at the exact same time is that Shakespeare added new words to the English language.
1: Oh, interesting.
0: Yeah. So a lot of the time, if we come up with our own phrases for things, our, own way of saying things that tends to stick in people's minds more because it's new vocabulary and we love new vocabulary new vocabulary sort of appeals to the part of us that is interested in novelty like mm-hmm. there's lots of there there's lots of aspects of if something kind of is is quirky or different we're like oh i i, I want to pay attention to that i want to sort of think about that right? So when we create our own language around something and we have our own words, now we basically give our tribe something to use, right?
1: Yeah. So, you know, this reminds me of like Starbucks, like you have what, Bente?
0: Yep. Grand, yeah. 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 Uh, Venti, Grandi, uh, and Tall.
1: Yeah. One word is out of place there.
0: Exactly. It's <laughs> totally, yeah, it's a, it's a whole other thing, but it becomes like a culture thing. Right. Yeah. So all of a sudden, now everybody's kind of using that language and using those words. And, you know, what's really interesting about community is that for many, many people, community and identity end up being conflated. And they basically want to show, like, that they're part of something. Right. So when we give people their own language for that community and everybody's using that word, all of a sudden it's just like that word just keeps going and going and going. And now we keep referring back to the individual who. Came up mm-hmm. with that language.
1: Mm. So, so you say, So let's go through less now. So we have language. Yep. You said E for emotion. Did I hear yes, right?
0: yes, okay. emotion. So if I asked you to imagine the hardest moment in your life, there is a very, very good chance that you're going to be able to pull all sorts of like very, very specific details for me. Yes. Right. And the reason for that is that the emotion, when we're feeling a heightened state of emotion, our brains are kind of like a sponge and we start to absorb things and we remember them that much better, right? So if we're not feeling any emotion during something, it's kind of like a sieve. It just kind of like whatever's going on is kind of going in and going out and most of the time and we see this in sales copy we see this in books movies all sorts of forms of entertainment we can remember the most like heightened emotional scene yes or remember that like line in the copy that caused like kind of punched us in the gut and we could remember that word for word but we usually can't remember the the general stuff like we usually can't remember like nobody remembers how titanic opened Right. right, like, like no, right, right, like nobody's like, like oh, that's that, that's how that movie started. No, like nobody remembers that. Right, everybody remembers. I'll never let go. Right, like that's yeah. what happens. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, and and I'm thinking Darth Vader. Darth Vader, I am your father. Like, exactly. There's those pinnacle moments. But how can we bring about that emotion, though, in a reader of our content? I mean, it's my business. Already it sounds boring.
0: Yeah. So it's a a very good question. And what I like to go back to is the idea of actors use something called sense memory uh, to be able to perform really, really well. And the idea of sense memory is that you take a moment during the scene to basically take yourself back to a heightened state of emotion. So, if you're about to do a really sad scene, before the scene starts, you may actually sit there, imagine that sad moment, put yourself back in that place to the point where you're almost crying and then you do the scene.
1: Interesting, so the person delivering it gets in that emotional state. Is that how you transfer emotion, is experiencing it to give it?
0: Yes, exactly, exactly. You sit down and you have, like a lot of the time, like when I'm writing, uh, I I write daily. Right. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I'll do is I will take a moment before I even start writing to basically try to put myself back to wherever the story was. So I'll, I'll like sort of get myself in that place and be like, okay, now I'm going to kind of record this story for you. And whatever the emotion was that I was experiencing usually starts to flow through in the writing, in the content. Uh, and the other interesting thing about that is that if it's a shared emotion so a perfect example um i have had you know some challenges you know throughout through, through, throughout my life and and at one point uh last year uh, my mother my mother had passed away of of cancer hmm. and um during when covid hit i um was you know so you know we sort of gone through you know i'm in this phase where it's like now i'm it's about a year later right and i'm writing uh, a daily email and i suddenly have this moment of remembering this idea and i was brought back to um this time when i was a kid and these like special these bags of candies these hershey candies and there was always the special dark and the special dark was this candy like I didn't wanna eat, so I would always sort of put it away until I had this <laughs> whole bag of last special thing. dark, right? Yeah. So what I did was I wrote a piece and I called it The Special Dark of Gratitude and Grief. And I talked mm-hmm. about how, mm-hmm. what was happening with like everything, I was feeling gratitude for the fact that my mom was, that I wasn't going to my see my mom in hospice during COVID because that would have not been possible, Yeah. right? So I'm feeling grateful for that, but I'm feeling grief for the loss. And I basically sort of outlined like each of these moments of gratitude and grief that I was experiencing during COVID and no word of a lie, I started to cry while writing that, while writing that message. And when I posted it and when I put it out, I had so many responses, so many people sort of reaching out and and talking about their own experience.
1: Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. And, and there's something else you, in that story is there's, you gave it relatability. I, my mother, I'm very fortunate has not passed, uh, but uh, I have uh, put that candy aside that I don't want to eat until it's the last candy. You're like, well, at least it's candy. Yeah. So as I'm hearing a story, I can't relate to the experience you had with your mother, but I can relate to that. Is, is that a way of hooking someone in in, in, in in bringing equality in something that maybe the client hasn't experienced or the person you're talking to hasn't experienced yet?
0: Yes, yes. And that's actually a really important thing. I think that most of the time, one of the, one of the big factors in referability is accessibility. And Interesting, yeah. if people can't feel like they can access the information, then they, they feel silly sharing it. They feel like they might not be able to get it right. They feel like they might say it wrong, right? So by taking something like death of a, mm-hmm. of a family member, which only certain people have experienced or you know have had that, and then taking another story what I'm doing is I'm opening I'm opening it up. And I think that most of the time we want to think about how do we open up our, our concepts so that more people can basically get that sort of initial hook um, you know into it, right where it's like they can sort of uh, connect with, with that. And the way that I like to frame it is I call it finding your Celine. Uh, so there's this really great, uh, story in the book, uh, the power of habit, uh, -hmm. which is all about, yeah, exactly. Which is all about Hey Ya and how, when that song first came on the radio, (laughs) it was not a hit. Like people did not listen to it. They were not interested, but what they did was they sandwiched it between two very, very familiar artists because orally we will listen all the way through to something that is familiar. Right so what happened was because they sandwiched it in between celine dion and maroon five what ended up happening was that song now started to become familiar and people were willing to be introduced to it so what i often like to say is that most of the time entrepreneurs individuals with messages are trying to introduce their hey ya. when they first have to find their saline, they have to figure out that like initial like how are you going to get the average person to understand it to get to a place of trusting you and then they can jump in. I
1: and, got. It. So you make it yeah. accessible, you make it relatable, you put the message in the middle.
0: Yep. The exactly. Hey
1: yeah. Is, is there a risk though, Michael, that we're diluting ourselves? So you're talking about a very heavy subject, yep. and you front load it with uh, avoiding certain candy. Yeah. Is there a possibility that actually starts working against you?
0: I think it it, it can, you know, there's always, there is yeah. always that possibility. I think it has to do with your intention in your writing, right, so it's like, if you're writing something, if you're writing for the purpose of being like, well, I have to come up with an accessible, uh, an accessible idea, so I'm gonna use some accessible thing that everybody else has heard of, then you're not really being true to you, right? But if you say, what does this experience feel like to me, honestly? And then you write about that particular experience. Yeah. You might have some people who are like, well, you're making light of this. It's a, et cetera, but you're always going to have people yeah, who true. Are kind That's of in that, nice you know, in, yeah. In that, you know, in that place. Uh, but I often find like one of the things that has always worked very, very well in in any community I've built or any project that I've ever done is the idea of basically telling a story and articulating a lesson from the story. So there, there's a lot of stuff around storytelling. People spend a, a lot of time talking about the importance of storytelling, but they miss the fact that basically if you just tell a story, people can just kind of walk away and do nothing. But if you tell a story and you articulate a lesson or you give them something to do with that story, now there's so much more that happens and that story gets carried so much Mm. easier because you've taken the time to think about that.
1: What about small business versus big business here? You write, I presume for yourself. I write for myself, I write my own copy, Um, but you know, mega corporation, there's an intern jammed in some closet with two other interns writing it yeah. sounds like the opportunity is actually for small business here because we can bring about the emotion, but maybe maybe it can translate to big business.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that it's, you know, it, there is an opportunity for the small business. There, there's also an opportunity for the big business to actually take a, a moment to say, like, well, what is not big about us?
1: Oh, okay. Interesting.
0: Right. Like what is not big about us? What is something, what is something that we're not even paying attention to that sort of brings the idea of our humanity, you know, in, into play? I mean, I think about, uh, was it, was it Reebok, uh, or was it Nike that decided to do a COVID commercial?
1: Oh, oh, where so the blended people, I think it was, yeah. uh, I think that was Nike right was that where you see the two athletes
0: yeah the two athletes and it's you know it's so it's like you know in a time when you know a lot of these larger companies are just sort of like you know trying to sort of stay away from everything Yeah, You know, you got a company that's saying like there, my guess is there was somebody in that department who had a very strong gut feeling like we need to say something very much with what, you know, with what happened with uh, Colin Kaepernick. Right. And then when all of that served, you know, took off. Right. Like there are parts of the company, this big company that, you know, are human. And sometimes you gotta bring out that human side of things to really connect with your, you know, to connect with your audience.
1: Tell me about the rest of the acronyms. So we got language, emotion, what's next in
0: less? Simplicity. Okay. So here's the most interesting thing about simplicity. All of our lives, academics have rewarded complexity. So if you were in school, the the size of your paper or the size of your words basically dictated your knowledge, right? Like it said, like you were the smart kid because you used the big words or you were the smart kid because you wrote the big paper, right? Yeah. So all of our lives, we've sort of been presented with the idea that complexity means we're smart means we're doing great things. So what tends to happen with messaging is that people will try to be like overly complex and try to impress us with their words, with their style, with the way that they're doing things, with their backgrounds and all those different elements. But the interesting thing is that the memory rewards simplicity very, very simply because we cannot hold that many thoughts in our head at any given point in time, Yeah. right? So if I said, here are the 32 points of referability, nobody would listen to this, right? But because I'm tapping into memory and because I'm breaking down uh, language, emotion, simplicity, and structure, it's going to be easy for people to remember less, right? Yep. And they're going to it's going to be easier for them to share because it's bite size and their brain is going to hold that much information or decide, like, what are they going to hook onto? But most of the time, what tends to happen is that we tend to use complexity as a way to sort of show how much we know or right. how good we are or what we're you know or or what we're doing and all those different types of things. So and the interesting the other interesting thing about it is that simplicity is far more difficult than any other thing. To really come down like to really create take somebody's message and boil it down to something simple that other people can really really get actually is a very very difficult thing because we're, we want to complicate it. Like we want to, you know, tr- we want to cover everything. We want to make sure that people know everything, right? Yeah.
1: <laughs> right, well, I, I don't know if it's Einstein, and I'm, I'm gonna bastardize, but I think he said, make things simple, but not simpler, or something to that effect. Yeah. So what I'm hearing is, is narrow down to the core essence of it. It almost sounds a little bit like the Pareto principle to me, like nail that 20%, that is the vast majority, because there probably are 34 points to referability, yep. but you're getting to the, the essential four. Is that a good interpretation?
0: Yeah, exactly. Like you want to boil down to the things that are going to be the easiest for people to sort of get. And I actually have this conversation a lot with entrepreneurs who are multi-talented, right? They have lots of things that they could do for people. And the way that I like to frame it is think about a Swiss army knife. Mm -hmm. I could ask you like what tools are on a Swiss army knife and there are a lot of tools on various Swiss army knives. Right. But Mm -hmm. nobody is ever going to argue that there is a blade on a Swiss army knife. Right. right. Like nobody will ever argue that. So most of the time you've got to try to figure out like, well, what is my long blade? Like, what is the thing that like most people get about what I do, and then I can always introduce them to the other things. I can always tell them about the other things, but how much do we distrust people when they come to us and they say, I can do this, oh, and I can do that too, and I can do that too, I can do that too. Like, instantly the trust just like dissipates when somebody just keeps rattling off all the things that they can do for us, because how could they possibly have the expertise in all of those areas that requires like real deep understanding?
1: Does that also confuse, though, the core competency? If I keep on saying, yes, and I do this, yes, and I do that, does that also confuse the recipient of that? Now I'm saying, well, hold on, what about the core thing? Maybe, I don't even know yeah. what, what's actual confusion?
0: Yeah, yeah. And what I often like to say is that ambiguity is kryptonite to a connector. So yeah. I love connecting people. I love helping people. But if somebody says to me, I want to talk to anybody who da-da-da-da-da, I basically say, I don't know any anybody's. I only know somebody's. So so you have to give me something specific. Like you have to say like, this is what I'm focused on or this is what I'm trying to do. And the more specific the language you use, the easier it is for my brain to access those keywords and be able to say, oh, this is the person to introduce you to.
1: Yeah, uh, going back to language, yeah. um, do do I want to be inventing words kind of like what I heard, uh, with Shakespeare or, uh, do I want to use uncommonly used words, but are recognized? Is there a specific strategy around that?
0: Yeah. So there's, there's two, you can either come up with your own words, which, you know, is a gamble because sometimes you're not going to come up with a good word or you're going to come up with a word that like doesn't really land or, or, or doesn't really work. But if you do come up with a word that really hits, uh, you could have an entire business around that word. Like, and I've seen it happen numerous times where people have come up with a new word or a new way of saying something and you're like, oh. And then that, that leads to the second thing, which is position, right? So a lot of the time we sort of, we, we have words that we already use, but if we change the order and we just sort of play Mad Libs with those words, all of a sudden it can sound completely different. So uh, an example is any time that I'm writing in my daily email, I don't refer to Facebook as Facebook. I refer to it as the Book of Faces. <laughs> Smart. And and it's just like it gets that kind of like attention, right? So people will then reference it, use it, comment on it, share, you know, etc. And all it really is is just a slight shift in the language of it.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, but it removes that blur, right? Because Facebook, Facebook, I hear it all the time. It's clearly it's just, just a blur and doesn't have significance. The second you call it book of faces is like, it's, it's remarkable because it's in its difference, but it's very relatable too. I understand what you're talking about yep. instantly.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing. It's like, you, you know, if you're create, if you're adding new words or if you're doing repositioning of words, you want to think about like, how does it actually sound aesthetically? Like in the startup world, you know, one of the things that uh, often would come up is if, I can't spell your the name of your company. Then I'm probably not going to look it up from a website, kind of you know kind of standpoint. So you're always yeah. trying to come up with like like what's an easy spelling, what's an easy way to sort of process this, etc. And you want to give people the opportunity to get things quickly, right? Because if they don't get things quickly, they're just going to move on. So if right. you're going to create a new word, then you got to think about like how much do they have to think to get this new word, right? Yeah versus you know uh if you change the order it's like how much do they have to think to sort of understand the difference when you change that order
1: you know a couple of things come to mind uh, just do it which i think is nike yep. right uh they own that phrase but uh was it super califragilistic expialidocious? right yeah <laughs> made up crazy long word yeah but it points right to the movie yeah it is interesting how we can own these words and uh Right. So that, that becomes paratable, referable. I want to yep. say it. And we, we have a, a, a commonality, now, something we can talk about. Yep. Tell me about structure.
0: So our brains are wired to follow structure. Like we don't read a book by starting in the middle and then going to the back and then going <laughs> like, unless we're reading a choose your own adventure, right. That's true. Um, this, but most of the time, like structure is the way that we're able to keep things together in our minds this is the reason why jokes have lived as long as they have because jokes have always have a very specific structure Mm. Mm -hmm. and we're able to just carry it with us so most of the time we can we especially in thought leadership like we'll come up with ideas or concepts or something that we want people to understand but we won't give them a this is first this is second this is third or we won't give them a visual to process that particular information and because there's no structure a lot of the time what happens is people start to feel like like well what should i pay attention to what should i be looking at you know uh how am I going to explain this to somebody else? Like, what should I cover first? What should I cover second? All of those different types of things. So if we give them structure, then it's it's like a joke. It's very, very easy. They know exactly how to frame it. They know exactly what the punchline is, right? Like, nobody is going to explain uh, memory by talking about structure first right now. They're right. just not. because. L-E-S-S, and the word less will give them a structure to follow and sort of create a particular process for the way that the brain works.
1: Yeah, so it's interesting. So it's, it's fine. What you're you're teaching me here is what you're actually employing too. Very visual. You know, there's a Swiss Army knife popping around in my mind. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking of that Nike commercial. Um, but referability, I, my, my assumption is it's absolutely critical in our business. Every business needs to be referable is there statistics or data around this? Like if you do it right, your business booms, you do it wrong, your business fails. Is there any numbers or any uh, experiential information you can give?
0: I think it's, I think it's so, I think it's new. It's so new that there haven't been a lot of studies specifically based on referability. Right. Um, But what I have noticed is the fact that so many people have basically tried to teach us how to be different, that everybody's different is now starting to sound the same. Mm. So so there's so many patterns and structures and like, uh, you know, uh, people teaching like scripts and, and programs and courses of like, say it exactly like this, that we've sort of hit this place of like, if I read an email and you say my friend, I'm instantly like, okay, this is an affiliate deal, yeah. right? Like there's all these like little things that now, um, there's this concept in the in the copywriting world about market sophistication. Uh, where basically at the very beginning, you could write 50% off and everybody w- was like, I'm going to buy or a large number of people would buy. But as the market became more sophisticated, you had to write longer sales letters. You had to really create a much more complex description of the product because now people were educated as to you know, what the tricks were. Right? Yeah. um so I think that the thing about referability versus differentiation is that referability is about basically owning a piece of real estate in people's minds mm-hmm. when it comes to like who you like who you are. And the interesting thing is that the more pieces of real estate that you own, the more uh, you keep being referred back to and, and uh, what I've done in the past is I've looked at entertainment specifically for this. So there are tons and tons of uh, female comedians, right? But most people, when you ask them about a female comedian that has attained a very, very high level of notoriety, most people are gonna lean back to Ellen DeGeneres as one of their like top, you know, as one of their top people. And one of the core reasons why Ellen DeGeneres is going to come up so often is that we have multiple points of reference for her. We have the talk show, we have Dory from Finding Nemo, right. we have uh, all sorts of other her stand up comedy career. Yeah. Like we have all of these different points of, of places. Same with Joe Rogan, right? Think about right Fear
1: the, Factor.
0: Yep. Think about all the different reference points that we have to Joe Rogan. So it's like when you think about it, right? Um, One of my favorite stories is uh, John Ratzenberger, right? So I say John Ratzenberger, and most people are like, well, who's that? But it's like every single Pixar movie. In the land of Pixar, the Ratzenberger is king because his name, he is in every single Pixar movie. His voice yeah. Yeah. is in every single Pixar movie. Right. And when you think about it, what happens? You just like that voice, you know it almost instantly. Right. You know it almost instantly. But for a lot of people, the reason they know it is because of cheers. Right. Right.
1: That's right. That's right. (laughs) And he's got such a distinct voice. Um, Interesting. You know, it's funny. This morning, so I I write every day too. Um, I was studying and writing about habituation which um maybe you're familiar with this. It's, it's part of the reticular formation, the base of our brainstem. And what it does is it filters out the familiar, as you were talking about being different, you said there's like certain protocols on being different, which therefore makes us the same, my friend in the, in the email, yeah. which then brings about habituation, which is our minds designed to ignore things. Yep. So do we need to, when it comes to referability, do we need to break through that habituation? Do we need to introduce, different things to break through and then anchor ourselves into the mind of our clients?
0: Yes, definitely, definitely. And I, and I think the thing is, right, basically things start to become white noise after, uh, after a while, right? right? So if we're using the same phrase over and over again, whatever it is, pe- people will start to sort of ignore it, right, yep. but when we see those patterns, there's always an opportunity for a pattern interrupt, Right? There's always an opportunity to ask okay, everybody is saying this, like, well, what do I think? is there anything I disagree with here? Is there anything that I think people are not paying attention to? And I've had this conversation with a lot of people on just the relationship building side of things. Like most people will uh, basically decide like one channel is the only way to get to a particular person and everybody will be trying to go through that channel, right? And reaching Mm -hmm. out to that person, et cetera. But they're basically, they're all trying to jam themselves through a door, but they're in a house full of windows. So find a window. (laughs) right? Like there's so many other channels. So like everybody would want to talk to James Cameron about Titanic, but very, very few people are going to reach out to him and say, I would love to discuss Piranha, which one's going to be more interesting (laughs) to answer, to sort of talk about, to, you know, have a discussion around.
1: Yeah. That's actually a fascinating point. Tell me about small pond enterprises. So, so these concepts you're sharing to me, revolutionary, So impactful. How do you turn this into a business though? You just, you outlined everything in our podcast.
0: So, so basically the thing is like most people are, the the way I like to frame it is that most people are really good at what they do, who are thoughtful givers, who like, they love to help and sort of support other people. They are the worst at prioritizing their own intellectual property. So these are people who, like, they do really great work for others, but they never sit down and say, like, well, what is my process? Mm. What is my structure? How am I putting these things together? And the problem is if they go and decide to do that on their own, they fall into the category of they're too close to the material. So they're coming up with whatever they think sounds cool or whatever they think sounds interesting or whatever the value is that they think they're providing. And many, many times they're off. So what I found was when you can help someone really see the outside picture. So what I like to say is like their faces are pressed up against the TV screen. So they are only seeing colored pixels. My job is to tell them what's on TV and let them know if they need to change the channel. Uh, Because there there are lots of instances where they're selling to the wrong market. Like they've got a great thing. They've got a fantastic service, product, whatever. But the market that they're selling to either can't really afford it or doesn't really understand it or doesn't even see it as an interesting thing. And sometimes there's another market that their thing is fascinating to that market. It's so much more interesting to them. It's so much more engaging to them. And they'll spend way more. You know, on it. Uh, so I will come in and help them with that particular, you know, with that particular process, sort of figuring out those, uh, those pieces.
1: To summarize referability, if that's the right term to use, here's what I heard, but I want to hear the, the master, the sensei's <laughs> summary. My, what I didn't expect to learn from you was this is really about uh, managing the mind of the prospect into making something very accessible, sticky in their mind, and paratable. That's what referability is. I was expecting like, you know, $10. if You tell me, introduce me to a friend.
0: Yes. <laughs> yeah.
1: What's your definition of referability?
0: Yeah. So the way that I look at referability is I, I, I basically think it depends on three factors, which is accessibility, influence, and memory. Uh, so first, people have to be able to get it. They have to be able to understand it. You have to be, it has to be accessible to you know, be able to share it, be able to think about it. Second, it has to be influential. And most of the time when people think about influence, because so much has been written about influence, they think about persuasion. They think about how am I going to get you to do something? But what is far more powerful and far more influential is if I give you something that makes you look better by sharing it, you will share it more often.
1: Michael Roderick, uh, the CEO (laughs) of Small Pond Enterprises, thank you so much for this today.
0: (laughs) No worries. An absolute pleasure. If
1: people could see the video, Kels, you're you're, jogging your head back and forth. You love this episode, Kels. So you go first. What was your big uh, takeaway?
2: So I really love when he talked about language. Yeah, I think that it's super effective to create a community that then uses that language and creates their, you know, it's like their tribe language. I love when he said community and identity um, become conflated. I couldn't read my own handwriting. <laughs> become completed because uh, I think that that's such an awesome tool for people to be able to think about in the way that they um, message and um, think about attracting people and then maintaining that relationship. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: I loved um, that. I I like, there's so many more elements. Like he talked about um, making new words for your community, right? So making a special language for them. I thought that was amazing. I thought one thing I really loved was getting into the emotional state yourself before working on copy and writing. He's like, it just, it translates your emotion into your context. You have to be there. Um, I know when I'm writing and I'm feeling this the most energy, it is definitely my best writing. Mm -hmm. Um, And this, this was the big takeaway. Academics have historically awarded complexity. The brain rewards simplicity. Yeah. yeah. That was
2: really interesting. Yeah. I like that. that Betty pointed that out. I said the same thing about language too, and and, um, creating your own way of saying things. And I think that's important because um, I know myself, I'm dead to a lot of overused language. Um, But when somebody can translate it and present it in in, a new and unique way, it can land differently and hit differently and hit deeply um so i thought that was really cool and important and i liked his uh, swiss knife analogy you have to know what your long yes. blade is basically that right helps.
1: yeah right exactly what's what's the most functional tool
2: what is it exactly and i and keeping it simple in that regard you know knowing what that is and as he said too um Do you, um, you start to distrust people that have too many gadgets. You feel like they can't possibly be master of all of those things. And so they become a little less credible. So, you know, know what that is, know what that thing is that you, you can offer.
1: That's absolutely true. We got to come up with better language to communicate some stuff. Just yesterday, Mm -hmm. we had to order some supplies and English and eating. And I'm like trying to signal like something to wipe (laughs) your body
2: away. Maybe language at all. Like, which would be good instead of Mike's yeah. pantomime. i doing
0: pantomime. Rubbing his like, body. <laughs> I was like, what's Kelsey. happening? Kelsey what yells. He using words Multiple might be effective. <laughs> <laughs> Kelsey says,
1: that's you that's
2: were that's you that's like, like up here. And I was like, <laughs> what's happening? What does he need
1: at work <laughs> that, that requires this motion? I, yeah, I didn't know. <laughs> I wanted to do like a wipe motion, but I wanted to stay, up, you know. I wanted to be respectful, so I did it at the chest level, but not even at the chest, like at the shoulder, and slowly work my way down. And oh, Kelsey, who was not even watching, watching she was in her office, you she yells out, goes, He needs flushable wipes. And <laughs> i lot <lied> on them.
2: <laughs> That's the funniest part is that Kelsey can just like read him without even visual cues. It was, unbe- it was unbelievable.
1: It was unbelievable. <laughs> and she um, points to simplicity of language. If I get flushable wipes, simplicity of words
2: <laughs> well, simplicity words, words. it's all been done words are good too yeah
1: <laughs> all right do we have yes. a a good game from Jeremy? uh
2: let's see we do have a good game um and do you want to guess the topic
1: words or yeah. language no two on the nose so he does something about yeah. uh, what I'm seeing the the par- the uh consistency is yeah. something about
2: more personal about the person yeah more personal mm-hmm.
1: about them like yeah uh, i can't remember I <laughs> know okay. he's writing a new book. So let's say it's about authorship. I'm gonna say
2: uh, it's actually about where he's from, New York State. New York State. Mm-hmm. All right. So New York is home to the Culinary Institute of America, which has the only certified Master Chef training exam honored by the ACF. How many days is the exam? Three days, seven days, or ten days? The exam. Holy schmoly
1: Okay. And Jeremy is a culinary certified in, in the culinary arts.
2: Yes. So
1: I'm not mean, sure where now, which institute he went to, but. Uh,
2: but he would know.
1: Yeah. Right. And he's editing this right now. I think, Jesus, Mike. <laughs>
2: exactly. All right. The Uncle Sam character was based off a real person from Troy, New York named Sam Wilson. What was his profession? Carpenter, plumber, butcher. Kelsey does not look <laughs> confident. Talking, is this something everybody knows? I know, right?
1: All right.
2: All right, last one. New York is home to the oldest major sports venue in the country, dating back to 1847. Which sports venue is it? Ebbets Field, Coney Island Velodrome, or Saratoga Springs Racetrack? Hmm. Hmm. Kelsey. Hmm. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> Okay. I don't know anything. <laughs> That's how, you know everything, Kelsey. This is like the I'm first time. Oh Lightning my gosh. <laughs> she <laughs> knows everything. She knows things that nobody has even spoken yet. <laughs> it's <main line, laughs> amazing. i and I'm down. <laughs> All right. You guys ready? Yeah. Okay. How long is that exam for the Culinary Institute of America? Three it's days, seven days. days, or 10 days?
1: Three. 10.
2: Kelsey's right. The test is a grueling 10-day test. There are only around 65 certified master chefs in the world. Wow. 10 days. 10
1: days. That's brutal. I wonder how long each day is. Is it eight hours? Is it 12 hours? I know. Is it 16 hours? Right. Yeah. No sleeping.
2: No sleeping. Just cooking. Make it plombé.
1: And you're like, fine. <laughs> uh,
2: okay. The Uncle Sam character was based off a of real person from Troy, New York, named Sam Wilson. What was his profession? Carpenter, plumber, or butcher? I said carpenter, it seems the most all-American, I don't know. Yeah, it does seem all-American.
1: I thought he was a uh, costume maker and he made the uncle <laughs> a costume <So laughs> the I, I, I The second
2: <laughs> guess is butcher, I don't
1: know. Yeah. Butcher would be, if he's a butcher, like that's, mm, that's dangerous. Uncle Sam wants you, Yeah, I would say carpenter.
2: Okay, so uh, Kelsey, did you switch to butcher? Now, should carpenter. <laughs> no, should I? No, I'm not saying, I'm not yeah, saying. i say carpenter, is my final. Butcher is the correct answer. His company, Wilson Meats, helped feed soldiers during the War of 1812. Okay, okay. Oh. Uh, Yeah. That's the connection. Mm
1: -hmm. That's a good connection. That's a good one. Okay. So are we tied 0-0?
2: No, I got one. Yeah, she got the first
1: one. Oh, you did get the (laughs) 10-0.
2: I like how he's like twisting it. (laughs) All right, guys. Last one. New York is home to the oldest major sports venue in the country dating back to 1847. Which sports venue is it? Ebbets Field, Coney Island Velodrome, or the Saratoga Springs Racetrack? This is Saratoga Springs.
1: And I'm going with Coney Island Melodrome. That's my okay.
2: second choice. All right. The correct answer is Saratoga Springs Racetrack, home to some of the first horse races in the country. <laughs> Kelsey wins that one. Kelsey, well played. Well yeah, played. well done. Thank girlie. you. Thank you. Girl who says they she They were all nothing. guesses, so
1: I deserve <laughs> zero credit. <laughs> Uh, obviously, with three wrong, mine were all guesses. <laughs> I, right, my friends, I hope you uh, enjoyed this episode. It was actually one of my favorite interviews um, of of a, in this case, an upcoming author. It was just really simple, really actionable, and uh, you will see results. You will become remarkable and uh, memorable if you follow his instructions. And I do want to share one ask with you. Would you be willing? Would you please go online and? make sure you subscribe so you don't miss an episode of us and give us a rating and review we'd appreciate because it's the best way for us to spread the word thanks for that and we'll see you at the next episode
2: Bye. bye